and say hi to those who are around you. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing all right? Cool. If you have a Bible, let's open up to Nehemiah chapter 12. And uh, hold on, I'll be right back. Now, you guys know Nehemiah was one of the shortest guys in the Bible, right? <laughs> Nehemiah. I mean, you've heard it before, right? I'm sorry. You know, it's a blessing going through the Bible. And uh, in all honesty, if it were up to me, I probably would have skipped this chapter, you know. And uh, just uh, a lot of times we think we know better than God and we have topics that are more relevant. But it's a blessing to be part of a ministry that just teaches through the Bible and what you'll find is that as you go through it, it really is all inspired by God and profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction and righteousness. And so here tonight, we're going to talk about joy and a couple of components of that uh, we're going to see are the importance of priests and the importance of, uh, of praise. Are, are you guys a, a people of joy, out of curiosity? Let me look real quick and see. <laughs> you know, um, we really should be. Uh, not necessarily happiness. Happiness has to do with our situation. Joy has to do with our salvation. You know, if you're a Christian, uh, you should be filled. You should be flooded with joy. But what ends up happening is two things come into our life, and they kind of get in the way of that joy that we should be having. One is sin. You will never be a joyful Christian if you're okay with sin. You know, we all fall short every day. Don't get me wrong. I know we, uh, we are still imperfect and we live in a fallen world and body and we fight against fallen angels, right? So we're going to stumble. But if you're living in sin, you're living in open rebellion, uh, defiance against God, you know what you're doing is wrong, but you're doing it anyways, you will not have joy. You will not have joy. And that's why, you know, as Christians, we got to do our best, man, to, to walk holy lives, you know, to, Lord, show me if there's anything in my life that's not pleasing to you, and I, I don't even want to blink of an eye, think twice. I want to I wanna surrender it to you. And so that's one of the things I think that robs us of our joy, obviously, is sin. And another thing, obviously, is distractions. When you get your eyes off the Lord, man, you know, and you get your eyes on your circumstances or whatever, you know, the things that the enemy does to bring into our life to get our eyes off Jesus. 
You know, for us, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we will have joy for the journey. And in Nehemiah, it's kind of cool what we read in chapter 12. They come to that place where they are so happy that they shout and they scream and they praise and they sing so loud that um, it's uh, only the third time in the Bible we see where it happens. And this time what we see is that it just really resonates and it's actually genuine and um, it's a really cool story. Um, Lots of names though, but let's start in Nehemiah 12 and verse 1. It says, now these are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, Sariah, Jeremiah, Ezra. And he goes on and he gives the names there in verses 2 through 7. Now remember, we're, we're talking about the priests, right? In the latter portion of verse 7, these were the heads of the priests and their brethren in the days of Jeshua. Moreover, the Levites were Jeshua, Benuiah, Cadmiel, Sherebiah, Judah, and Mataniah, who led the Thanksgiving Psalms, he and his brethren. So we'll pause there for a moment. What we're going to see in tonight's chapter is verses 1 through 26 are all about the priests, and then in verses 27 through 47, it's all about praise. Uh, It has a lot to do with joy, something we should possess because we have peace with God. Uh, One person said that joy is peace dancing. I thought that was kind of cool. When you know you have peace with God and and you dance. I visualize like Snoopy dance. I I like to see him dance. Can you guys dance? You get all happy and do that? I can't. I have no rhythm, but... You know, I know what it is. There's a few things I've done in my life that have just brought like overwhelming joy to my life. Uh, I remember when we finished reading the Bible as a family. I'll never forget that. It was like we won the World Series, man. And my son and I were we were just jumping up and down. We were hugging each other, kind of like you see those teams and then they go on the field and they're so excited. We did that. There was like a joy inside of me when we read the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, from cover to cover. And that's, I got to admit, you know, there have been those times where I think, and maybe it wasn't joy, but you know when your, your team hit the grand slam or stuff like that, you know, stuff like that. This should be our heart for the fact that we are saved. You know, joy is peace dancing. And Billy Sunday said, if you have no joy in your life, then you have a leak in your Christianity. You know, uh, something's, something's not right, man. Something's not right. You know, the other day, uh, it's actually been a while now, um, my wife brought it to my attention, and I think maybe I saw it, I just maybe ignored it, but do any of you guys have those little lights on your car where it tells you if your tire pressure is is not good? Isn't that like the greatest invention, one of the greatest, I never knew that. She told me, hey, there's a little symbol right here, and it means that your tire pressure is low. I said, is that what that means? I, I never knew that. Isn't that a great invention? Otherwise, you've got to wait until your tire is really low. This way, you can tell. Other, otherwise, you would never know. And so, you know, we went back and forth. It, it took about a year to fix it. But eventually, you know, go down to the, uh, the tire place and, um, you know, they, $17, they, they repaired it and stuff like that. And, and, you know, there was a symbol there because there was a leak. Well, in our life, if there's no joy then there's a leak. Something's wrong. That's the symbol that you got to look for when there's no joy in your life. We should be a people of joy. And as we go through our study today, we're going to see that we have reasons for joy. 
these guys did. But notice what it took to get there. First of all, we have all these priests that are mentioned in verses 1 through 26. Again, as we draw near to the conclusion of the book of Nehemiah, you know, what we've seen is that they rebuilt the temple, completed the wall. They've done their best to get into the word and let the word get into them. Uh, in chapter 11, last time we were here, we saw that the people entered into a covenant with God to live for him in Israel and there in Jerusalem, to live for God in their hearts. How about you guys, man? Have you entered into that covenant? I mean, are, are, you, are you like legit? I mean, I'm not saying we're perfect. We all have different personalities. We all have different temptations. We all have, you know, different lives. But are you here and you're all in? Or are you like here and then when you go home, you look at porn or you get high or you get drunk? Or, you know, you have sex outside of marriage or whatever the case may be. You know, it could be, it could be pride. It could be, you know, materialism or covetousness. Let me tell you something, man. You are bringing judgment on yourself. If that's your heart, God loves you. So God would bring you to a place to say, you know what? Don't live your life like that. I want to bless you. God will bless obedience. And so, you know, for us looking at these things and seeing the, the journey to joy, you know, Nehemiah, a lot of things are going on. They got the walls, they got the temple, they got the, the word and they made that covenant with God. And now as their celebration approaches, uh, Nehemiah gives a summary. It's interesting, a priest, because here's the principle, you guys. Before revival and the restoration of a nation, there must be sanctification. You know, there has to be. The priests would literally be instruments, think about that, instruments of praise. And so in verses 1 through 7, we have the leaders of the priests and their associates in the days of Jeshua. And if you remember, this is the first group that returned under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Jeshua. And so you can read all about that when you get a chance, if you haven't already, in Ezra chapters 1 through 6. That was the first group that came up uh, after the seven years of captivity. And then in verse 8, it says, Moreover, the Levites were these guys again, Jeshua, Binuai, Cadmiel, Sherebiah, Judah, and Mataniah, who led the thanksgiving psalms, he and his brethren. And so we got this guy, Mataniah, here mentioned in verse 8. And it's interesting, if you go back, if you would, to chapter 11, notice he's mentioned in verse 17, Mataniah, the son of Micah, the son of Zabdi, the son of Asaph, the leader who began the thanksgiving with prayer. And so it's interesting. We read in chapter 12 that he's the one who does the thanksgiving psalms or songs. And then in chapter 11, Mataniah is the guy who kind of started it all off with prayer. And I was just thinking, you know, just as a quick side note, how, um, how prayer and praise are so intricately connected, aren't they? You know, you're not going to have a healthy praise life of worship if you're not a, a man of prayer. But not only that, when you praise, when you praise, when we're singing, aren't we praying? And we're, we're talking to God. And I was just listening to the lyrics as, as, as Angel was leading us in worship and the team up here. And I was just sitting down right there. And sometimes you're able to sing. And I'm not saying that, 
you know, we're all the best singers or anything. And, you know, there are some who would tell you, unless you sing, you're in sin. But every once in a while, you know what you do? You just sit there and you just pray. And you're just praying these words to God. What a beautiful name this is. And then you can even go off and say, Jesus, you're so beautiful. I mean, they go together. You know, I want to encourage you guys, as we're going to go through our study tonight, we're going to talk a lot about praise, to make sure that that's a healthy portion of your life. And as you're singing, whatever you do, I just beg of you, because you were created to worship. Don't miss that time. Sing to God. Praise Him. Because prayer and praise, you know, they go together. That's this guy, Matt Nia, right here. And then we read in verse 9, also uh, back Bukaya and Uni, their brethren, stood across from them in their duties. And so we're going to see in just a bit the importance of these brothers serving together in song. We're going to see that all these priests have their place. In verse 10, it speaks of Jeshua, who begot Joachim. Joachim begot Elisheb. Elisheb begot Joida. And Joida begot Jonathan. And Jonathan begot Jedua. And so you're like, man, why are we reading these names, Manny? Well, it's the Bible. You don't like it? You don't like the Bible. That's your problem. God wrote this down for a reason. And you're like, well, why does we have these genealogies right here? Well, since Jeshua was one of the primary priests that headed up the first group that returned to Jerusalem, here we have a list of his descendants, which would bring them now to the present. And basically what we're going to see in just a moment is God wants to raise up a a group of servants and people that are really genuine, legit, called by God priests. They're priests, and you got to know it. The only way you're going to know it, in this case, was their genealogy. Look at verse 12. Now, in the days of Joachim, the priest, the heads of the father's houses were of Sarah Now, these are all all priests and and heads of their sections within the priesthood. Merah of... Jeremiah, Hananiah of Ezra, Meshulam of Amariah, Jehohanan of Melachu, Jonathan of Shebaniah, Joseph of Harim, Adna of Meraath, Halkiah of Edu, Zechariah of Ginnathon, Meshulam of Abijah, Zikri the son of Min, Jamin of Moadiah, Piltai of Bilgah. I'm not very good at this, Shemua of Shemaiah, Jehonathan of Jeriah, Madaniah of Jedaiah, Uzi of Selai, Kelai, I probably pronounced them all wrong, of Amok, Eber of Helkiah, Hashabiah, and Jednaiah, Nathanael. I was thinking as I was reading these, I bet you this is good for my brain, huh, Lord? There's probably something there that's using that different part of my brain that I normally don't use, but... You know, basically, when Joachim was high priest, the family leaders of the priests were as follows. And he goes on, Moriah was the leader of the family of Sarahiah, Hananiah was the leader of the family of Jeremiah, and, and so on and so on. What we have right here are 21 leaders of 21 families mentioned in verses 12 through 21. And so we're, don't worry, we're going to make a point in just a second. Verse 22, it says, During the reign of Darius the Persian, a record was also kept of the Levites and priests who had been heads of their father's houses in the days of Eliashib, Joida, Johanan, and Jadua, the sons of Levi, the heads of their father's houses until the days of 
Johanan, the son of Eliashib, were written in the book of the Chronicles. And the heads of the Levites were Hashabiah, Sherebiah, and Jeshua, the son of Cadmiel with their brothers, across from them to praise and give thanks, a group alternating with group, according to the command of David, the man of God, Mataniah, Bakbukiah, Obadiah, Meshulam, Talman, and Akab were gatekeepers, keeping watch at the storerooms of the gates. These lived in the days of Joachim, the son of Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and in the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and of Ezra, the priest, the scribe. And so we're on this journey to joy. But you got to know, first of all, the importance of the priests, the importance of the priesthood. You know, in looking at this right here, uh, a few things to take note of. First of all, again, notice the emphasis on the importance of legitimate priests. You know, most of you probably didn't know this. Maybe there's a couple of you don't. In the Old Testament, you were a priest if you were of the lineage of Aaron. You had to be in that genealogy and you were a Levite if you were under the tribe of Levi. And so, you know, you had to make sure that you were a descendant of Levi or a descendant of Aaron. You know, I don't know if you guys ever trace your genealogy. You guys ever do that? You're like, yeah, I trace it back to George Washington. I've heard people tell me that kind of stuff, you know. And, you know, you go way back. That's what They had to have meticulous records in order to prove that they were priests in order to make sure that they were legitimate Levites. And what we're seeing right here with all these names and the Persian records and the things that are going on right here, what, what, what Nehemiah and Ezra are trying to communicate to the people is these guys are really priests called and consecrated by God. That's what he's trying to communicate to them. You know, these guys had to prove their lineage and if they couldn't prove that they were descendants of the right Family, they were not allowed to minister as priests and Levites. And for that reason, we see how they kept record of the priests and Levites there in verse 22. And even earlier, this is a record uh, in and of itself. And so, interesting, this law was articulated in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, verse 4. And the Bible says, And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God just as Aaron was. And so, you know, the guys then, the Jews then, they had to know for sure that these were legitimately priests. You know, and and sometimes, you know, here's the way it works. You get guys who want to be pastors or leaders over people. They want to teach and preach and lead, and yet they're not called by God. See, and that's where we today must be very careful. You know, one of the things we learn here in the way that they kept meticulous records in order to prove we were the priests is that you got to be sure. Is that guy really called by God? Well, yeah, he graduated from a seminary. He has, you know, whatever, X amount of degrees. Are you sure, though? You know, for us today, it's not genealogy. For us today, it's theology, right? Are they teaching the truth in love? That's one of the things that we got to look for, right? Are they uh, anointed by God? You know, you have to ask yourself. I think you as a church, you're not that, you're not that 
easy to fool. A lot of people like to make fun of church people and they say, oh, they're sheep and they're not really dumb. I mean, not really smart. They're dumb. You know, uh, but what I've noticed is that the sheep know. They, they, they end up knowing when the shepherd, not, not that he's, you know, perfect, but that he cares, that he's sincere, that he loves and that he is giving us the word. You know, for us today, we have to be sure. You know, you can look at that guy over there, and there are 40,000 people in the church that he pastors. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's really a, a legitimate Levite or a proper priest, someone who's really called and anointed by God. You guys, we know these things. So we know that, that you've got to speak the truth, the full counsel of God in love. You know, we could draw a big crowd by telling everybody what they want to hear. doesn't mean it's the Lord, right? You know, for us, it's the Spirit of God who anoints, and the Spirit of God will always use the Word of God so that you know it's a work of God and a worker of God. That's how we know that one's anointed and appointed by Him. You know, because these priests and Levites, they're standing in the gap, man. They're teaching the people, they're influencing them. And even in this case, we see that they're receiving tithes and offerings from the people. So you have to make sure that this is the Lord who has called them and they are supposed to be in this place. That's one thing I think we pull as a principle. Another thing we see here besides the principle of making sure our leaders are called by God is what David, the man of God, set up. And that is the beautiful, skillful, even thoughtful way of offering praise to God through music. I'll be honest with you guys. I pray that that part of your life is passionate. Passionate, man. Because there's some people, worship's nothing to them. They go and it's like, nah, 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 okay. And give me some intellectual things and then they're gone. It's like, no, there's no passion. There's no spirit. There's no heart. You know, I mean, I don't know if you guys ever do this, but I know what I'll do sometimes. I'll throw my earphones, I'll get on my face in my garage, and I'll just worship the Lord. I mean, I think that, you know, Angel was talking about it, or it was Henry was talking about it, when we get to heaven, we're going to be worshiping. I mean, we are going to be singing to God. It's one of the most amazing experiences that we can have in life. You know, my prayer is that you don't, you know, just say, oh, we'll get there, you know, about 8.15 and 8.20 because, you know, the study, it, the, the service doesn't really start until, you know, whatever, 8, 8, you know, 7.30. Um, no, I remember when I first got saved, we would get there early. We would get there before service because we did not want to miss anything about worshiping God. You know, David right here, Notice what it says in, in verse 24 in the latter part. It says, With their brothers across from them to praise and give thanks, group alternating with group, according to the command of David, the man of God. Okay, do you have joy? Be honest. If you don't, maybe tonight's study might be able to help you a little bit. You know, um, you know, when we look at this, you know, the ministry of the priests and part of the ministry of the priests is praise. And so David here, he was used by God in a tremendous way. 
You know, David had a lot to do with this whole ministry of music. It's interesting. The Bible says that, that David served his generation faithfully in Acts 13.36. But in doing so, he served also the generations that followed. You know, and that's a, just a real quick side note to know. Sometimes, you know, we want to impact the next generation. So you know what some people do? They make a monument to themselves. You know what? That'll kill you like it did, you know, uh, uh, Absalom, man. He made a monument to himself and God ended up killing him. No, you don't have to worry about that. All you got to do is be faithful. Be faithful where God has called you. Do it with your heart unto him. Love him like David did. Not perfect. But man, he was faithful. And as a result of that, in being faithful in his generation... He impacted all the generations to follow. I mean, we know he wrote at least 75 psalms, right? It was David, when you think about it, who organized the priests and the Levites in, in, in their area of music, according to 1 Chronicles chapter 24. He wrote psalms. He even made musical instruments to offer up worship to God. That's how heavy that was. That's how important it was that, that we sing to God and that we praise him. That, that was David's heart. That's why he's called a man of God here. And, and, you know, it wasn't just David saying, hey, let's sing. It wasn't like that. I mean, you know, what we find right here, it says to praise and give thanks, group alternating with group, according to the command of David, the man of God. What that was is that you know, here he said they had a section and then there was a section there. And first this section would offer up a verse of praise and thanksgiving and then the second section would do so in response. You know, that verse, that verse, maybe singing the chorus together. You know, I'm not sure how it would all happen, but I'll tell you what, it wouldn't happen without practice. David took this seriously, Right? And, you know, they needed skill, and it was a practice really that was traceable back to him, who the Bible calls a sweet psalmist of Israel in Second Samuel 23, verse 1. You know, bottom line is, David was a man who truly worshipped God. And I believe it wasn't just through music. That's a reflection of worship at times. You know, and, and so... This road, this journey to joy, it begins with the priest, number one, called by God, number two, priests worshiping God, and then number three, priests who are on guard for God. We read that in verse 26 again. These lived in the days of Joachim, the son of Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and in the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and of Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, and sorry, verse 25, it says these guys, Talmud and Akab, were gatekeepers keeping the watch at the storerooms of the gates. Priests called by God, priests worshiping God, and, and priests on guard for God. And what we find is that these guys were keeping watch over the storerooms of the gates. And this is more than simple security. It always is whenever it's involving the Lord, right? I mean, you can build something, any house, anywhere. But when you start building in the church building, it's a spiritual warfare, right? I mean, I guess it all is, but especially this. And you can do security out there somewhere. 
But when you begin to do security for the saints, it's a spiritual battle, right? And, and for us, it's a heavy responsibility. These are things that we need. We need, you know, guys that are called. We need guys that worship. We need guys that are, are, are watchmen in the church. We really do. You know, um, some watch over storerooms, and that's necessary. I thank God for that. You know, we got Fernando right there. Don't mess with him, man. You know? Every once in a while, we'll get an usher right here because, man, you never know what someone will do. We got people positioned just in case someone comes in here and cause, wants to cause trouble, you know, and uh, some churches, you know, they'll put ushers out in the parking lot, make sure no one uh, breaks into your cars. There's a place for that, right? So we have guards over storerooms, but we also have guards over souls. You know, the Bible says in Ezekiel 33 that we're watchmen. And, and what, we're not really familiar with that as much as they were then, but a watchman in those days, they would literally be at their post, they would be at their tower, and they would be watching to see if there was uh, any type of trouble, any type of enemy that was advancing to hurt God's people. And, and here's the thing, that if the watchman saw anyone or anything that was dangerous to the people within the city, it was his responsibility to sound the trumpet, right? To sound the warning. And, and in Ezekiel 33, what he basically says is that, hey, you know, Ezekiel, you're a watchman. And if you see people who are not living right for the Lord, if you see people who are not yet saved, who are living in their sins, and you don't sound the trumpet, then they're going to die, but I'm going to require their blood at your hands. You have to warn the wicked. That's what he said. And even the righteous, he says there in Ezekiel 33, and I challenge you to read it. He says, and if there's a righteous person who turns from their righteousness, and you don't warn them, then they're going to die in their sins, but their blood I'm going to require at your hands. See, and that goes for, you know, for pastors, teachers, preachers. In one sense, I think it kind of of goes for all of us. You guys, if you're here tonight and you're not living right with God, you know, you're not being obedient to Him as a Christian, let me promise you something. He's going to deal with you because He loves you. He will chasten you and you you will invite into your life unnecessary heartache. And when it happens... You'll know. You know, the other day, and this is, a, this is an extreme situation, and you have to be really careful because I don't want to overgeneralize, but we've been praying for this, uh, this 11-year-old little girl. Uh, her name is Samantha, and she has a rare disease, and it's very dangerous. And so she's been in Children's Hospital. Now she's over in UCLA. And so we were talking with her in the class, uh, talking with her mom, and, and she said, you know, um, one thing I have to tell you is that God has used the sickness of my daughter. There she is on death's door to get my husband right. And now he's praying with me. Every day he never used to do that before. And now he's seeking God and now he's going to church. And, and it's just crazy. You know, why do we have to wait until something like that happens in order to get right with God? 
You know, if God says jump, we should have a heart that says how high. No hesitation. You know, in, in looking at these priests that would bring them to their joy in that journey, you had priests that were called by God. You had priests that worshiped God. And you had priests that were watchmen for God. And so we move now from the priest to the praise. In verse 27, it says, Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgivings and singing, with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Netophathites, from the house of Gilgal, and from the fields of Geba and Asmaveth, for the singers had built themselves villages all around Jerusalem. And then the priests and Levites purified themselves and purified the people, the gates and the wall. Now, as I was reading this, I couldn't help but think of a sort of Thanksgiving celebration, and we're all fresh off of Thanksgiving, right? Um, but what do we do in you know, this Thanksgiving celebration? What do we do? We eat, you know? <laughs> And it kind of doesn't make sense, to be honest with you. I guess, you know, we look back to that first Thanksgiving and they grubbed, right? But really, uh, for us, Thanksgiving is not supping, it's singing, right? It's not a meal, but in this case, it's music that is offered to God and not, you know, melancholy stuff. You know, it's uh, this we're going to see, this was so joyful, upbeat music. Uh, we're going to see, it's like a... Like a grand parade, right? But sanctified and dedicated to God. As a matter of fact, there in verse 30, when it talks about the priests and Levites purifying themselves and then purifying the gates and the wall, you know, there is an element of the Old Testament where they would kind of purify things, but really that Hebrew word right there, it's probably better translated dedicated. They dedicated themselves to God. They then entered into agreement to dedicate the people to God this wall is for God. You know, this, uh, this, these gates are for God, right? And so, having sought out and invited all these worship leaders from everywhere, hey, come, come to this, this, this Thanksgiving parade. You know, they invited everyone. In verse 31, it says, And so I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall. And so they're on the wall. And appointed two large thanksgiving choirs. One went to the right hand on the wall toward the refuse gate. And after them went Hoshaiah and half the leaders of Judah. And Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, and some of the priests. Sons with trumpets. Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zakur, the son of Asaph, and his brethren, Shemaiah, Azrael, Mila'eli, Galilai, my Nathaniel, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God, and Ezra the scribe went before them. And so by the fountain gate in front of them, they went up the stairs of the city of David, on the stairway of the wall beyond the house of David, as far as the water gate eastward. And so, basically, you have what we're going to see is two groups. You guys ever go to the Rose 
Ball parade, I mean, what's it called? The Rose Parade? Yeah, the Rose Parade. And you guys like the, the, the bands when they march by? How many of you guys like that? I love that. I love that. This is kind of what we see. And so they've got this one Thanksgiving. It's not just a choir, although it does consist of a choir. And, uh, and then they got all the instruments, cymbals, I mean, you know, guitars, you know, whatever, harps, all that. And they're just praising God. I, 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 know, I don't know. I know this is not the same. But have you ever been on a missions trip or you're going somewhere in in the car and everyone's singing and praising God? Isn't that cool? It's awesome. You guys should do that on the way home, you know, just just praising God. We should all get in in the church bus, I mean, the the van, huh, Henry? You drive and we'll sing and, you know, this is what they're doing, you know. So what we have, this group, first of all, goes south. They're led by Ezra the scribe. And then in verse 38, the other Thanksgiving choir went the opposite way. And I, Nehemiah, was behind them with half of the people on the wall going past the tower of the ovens as far as the the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim, above the old gate, where above the fish gate, the tower of Hananel and the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate. And they stopped by the gate of the prison. So the two Thanksgiving choirs stood in the house of God Likewise, I and the half of the rulers with me, and the priests Eliakim, Asiah, Benjamin, Micaiah, Eloinai, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, also Maasaiah, Shemaiah, Elazar, Uzi, Jehohanan, Melchijah, Elam, and Ezra, the singers sang, notice, loudly with Jezrahiah, the director. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. And so this group goes north. Nehemiah is behind them. And then what ends up happening is the two groups eventually meet in the temple. And as they're there, uh, just obviously verse 43 emphasizes the fact that there was great joy. You know, and I don't know where you're at tonight, you know. Um, Something to take into consideration when they reach this moment of joy and more than likely, this will ultimately happen when we're in heaven. You know, um, you know that I, Mercy Me, they sing that song, I Can Only Imagine. What are we going to do? You know, when we get there, are we going to fall in worship? Are we going to dance? I don't know. I have a feeling that we are just going to rejoice when we're in heaven, you know? Along the way, however, when we do things God's way, there will be these times of celebration. The joy you should always maintain But these moments right here, when you acknowledge the work of God and when you let him work in your life, this is is so amazing. You know, what we find, and it's impressive to me when you consider how impossible this situation was, when it all began, you know, you have to take it in context. In the book of Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 3, it's when, you know, Nehemiah has to report, hey, how's it going there in Jerusalem, you know? 
And it says right there, they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. I mean, that is not a pretty situation, right? And maybe your situation tonight is, in one sense, when you look at it through your lenses, it's kind of like that. You know, reproach, distress, walls broken down, gates on fire. Doesn't look good. But then, you know what happens? Nehemiah. Nehemiah. What does Nehemiah mean? What does his name mean? It means Yahweh comforts. Comforts. Well, who's the comforter? The Holy Spirit. And once we allow the Holy Spirit to begin to move in our life, he enters in to our sorrows and he enters in and you know takes over our trying situations and then he just kind of moves us and he keeps us going and growing with the heart and for you know what a mind to work and to bring forth fruit as a result of that and when the spirit works what's the fruit of the spirit love joy peace you know, if any of you are going through hard times tonight, I, I'm just so grateful that you even came, you know. I mean, the church coming on a midweek service, a lot of times that doesn't happen, man. I pray that you would always seek God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you would always, you know, just know that as you seek Him, as you draw near, then, you know, He'll draw near to you. You know, I want to encourage you as you continue to be faithful and patient and uh, you're sure to endure, God's going to bless. I love Psalm chapter 30 and verse 5, the latter portion says, the weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning, right? I mean, I promise you on the authority of God's word that if you're God's child, and here's the thing, you don't got to be perfect, just do your best to love him, Okay? I mean, and if that's your heart, then he will give you, the Bible says, beauty from ashes, oil of joy from mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And a lot of times that's where we are. We have that, that spirit of heaviness. And God says, don't worry, man. I got a garment of praise just waiting for you. And you're like, well, how long will it take, Manny? Because, I, you know, I, I want, you know, your foot's, you know, stomping. And, hey, how, you know how long it'll take? Uh, however long it's going to take to take. You know what I'm saying? We, we always think of time, but God is always thinking of timing. You know, I, I don't know about you guys. Uh, I, I know for them, in all reality, it kind of took like 160 years. You know, because there were 70 years of captivity there was 90 years uh, when they returned up into where we are now. Not only that, if you think about it, um, you got to go back before then because prior to the, they were, the time that they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians, how was their life really? Was it a life of joy? I seriously doubt it. Sometimes it takes a long time to get someone's attention. But if I could just beg you, don't be a knucklehead, okay? <laughs> you guys, we can get right with God tonight. We don't have to wait. We don't have to make an 11-day journey, you know, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. The Lord loves you. 
He's not asking for you to be a rocket scientist or anything sophisticated or complicated. Just give him your heart. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and the things that he's putting his finger on that need to change. Surrender them to you, to him. He will give you the power to do that. And he will, like he says right here, it's kind of interesting. Also that day they offered great sacrifice and rejoice for God had made them rejoice with great joy. You know, what a blessing, huh? That they were able to march on these walls. You know, I guess Sam Bellett was wrong. You guys remember what he said back in Nehemiah 4.3? He said, whatever they build, even if a fox goes on it, he'll break down their stone wall. And here you have two praise bands marching all along the walls, and they're holding up just fine. So, you know, you wonder, well, why did they march on the walls? You know, let me give you guys three things. Warren Wiersbe points these out. Number one, a physical fulfillment. There was a physical, literal fulfillment. I like that passage that says, I would have lost heart unless I would have known that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I love that. So there's a physical fulfillment. These walls were dedicated, and it was only right to see and touch them. And so here they are. Hey, these are the walls. And you know, they're walking on them. They're touching them. They're visualizing them. Warren Wiersbe talked about a time where he went to a church and they had constructed an educational facility on the grounds. And so he said he went to the church and they did the whole celebration in the sanctuary. They never even saw the building <laughs> that they built. You know, and he said, man, we should have left the sanctuary and marched over to the educational building and praised you know, the Lord the way they did. He said it was like doing a wedding without the bride. It was kind of funny, you know. So that physical fulfillment, that was part of it. Secondly, it was a witness to the world as they're watching. So here they are marching on the walls. Undoubtedly, there were people like their enemies seeing them, and it would be a testimony. Real quick, it reminds me of, uh, and I know not all these guys are legitimate, but do you ever see a football player score a touchdown and go like this? Or like this or whatever, you know? And to me, I'm like, okay, he's giving glory to God. You know, that's kind of what they're doing right here. Um, and then thirdly, it was a symbolic step. It was a symbolic act, whereas we said, by which they stepped out by faith to claim God's blessing. So in that day, to walk on a piece of property meant to claim it as your own. Kind of like Genesis 13, 17, God said to Abraham, Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Or Joshua 1.3, it says, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you as I said to Moses. And so as they're walking on the wall, it's kind of like they're saying, man, this wall, this city, these people, this nation, it's God's. And I love it when we claim that. You know what I want to encourage you guys today? You know, not, and I'm not one of the, the weird, well, maybe I'm a little weird, but you know, not as weird as some Christians. Go home and just say, this house is God's house. I claim this house. You walk through the, the, the rooms or whatever, and you, know, you might go into your, your son's room, your daughter's room, or whatever the case may be, and you say, no, devil, you're not, you don't belong here. This is God's house. And you claim that. I mean, to me, I mean, those steps of faith, those things that, that draw us out, that draw out that faith, that's awesome. And that's kind of what, what they're doing here. And so as they're praising, number one, they're singing. 
And then number two, they're giving. Look at verse 44. And at the same time, some were appointed over the rooms of the storehouse for the offerings, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them from the fields of the cities the portions specified by the law for the priests and Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. Both the singers and the gatekeepers kept the charge of their God and the charge of purification according to the command of David and Solomon his son. For in the days of David and Asaph of old, there were chiefs of the singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. In the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, all Israel gave the portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, a portion for each day. They also consecrated holy things for the Levites, and the Levites consecrated them for the children of Aaron. And what we have is the importance of the priests and the importance of praise, and they did it through singing, and they also did it through giving because they saw that was a covenant that they had entered into. As a matter of fact, back in chapter 10, verses 32 through 39, they said that they would give to the work of the ministry. And so the people gave not grudgingly or of necessity, but joyfully and gratefully. And I love what Hudson Taylor said, because here we have a healthy work of God. He said, when God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it will not lack God's support. And so as we wholeheartedly give our hearts to the Lord, we will finally find joy. Have you guys ever heard that, um, that saying? It's kind of like an acronym. Joy is Jesus. J-O-Y, Jesus, others, yourself. Have you guys ever heard that? Well, let, me, let me tweak it a little bit for you tonight. Many people have heard that. Others, you know, Jesus first, others next, and yourself last. And again, I don't want to take away from that. There's a lot of truth to that. But one pastor is kind of cool. He changed it up a little bit. And he said the J stands for Jesus, the O stands for zero, and the Y stands for you. And you're like, what do you mean zero? And Jesus, zero, you. And this is what he said. The, the way to stay joyful in your heart is to let nothing, zero, don't let anything come between Jesus and you. I thought that was cool. You know, because he'll never let you down. He died for you. He loves you. And as you stay here with your eyes fixed on him, you know, we're going to have joy. That's what he wants, man. Uh, Do you guys enjoy God? (laughs) I pray that you would. Isn't it so cool as you place your faith in him that he saved you, forgiven you, set you free? I pray you guys would let that sink in. Father, we thank you for your word and and going back to the Old Testament like this and